Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello! And welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry. And this is my co-host. My name is Chris Huddleston. And today we are very, very, very excited to be talking to you about the 2001 cult classic film, Donnie Darko. Three varies. Yeah. I, I, I laid it on a little thick there. That's good. It, this this movie is deserving of it, I think. I think so, too. So I haven't done the trailer late. <laughs> so uh, I'll just uh, let me hit it again. Donnie Darko. It was as though this plan had been with him all his life, pondered through the seasons. Now, in his 15th year, crystallized with the pain of puberty. So, why'd you move here? My mom had to get a restraining order against my stepdad. He has emotional problems. Oh, I have those too. What kind of emotional problems does your dad have? I met a new friend. Real or imaginary? Your cup, Tony. Imaginary. I'm gonna tell you a little story today about a young man whose life was completely destroyed by these instruments of fear. I haven't seen stuff. Donnie is experiencing what is commonly called a daylight hallucination. <laughs> I have to obey him. He saved my life. Have you ever seen a portal? Has he ever told you about his friend Frank, the giant bunny rabbit? The what? Every living thing follows along set path, and... If you could see your path or channel, then you could see into the future, right? I'm not going to be able to continue this conversation. Don't worry. You got away with it. What is going to happen? I only have a few days left before they catch me. gonna stop you should already know that Okay, there was the trailer. So now, yes, do you have a synopsis for us, Monsieur Adelstein? I do. Um, so this is the IMDb synopsis, which I think is is pretty funny. So this is written and directed by Richard Kelly, and it stars Jake Gyllenhaal, Jenna Malone, Mary McDonnell. Um, you've got Seth Rogen in there. Maggie uh, Gyllenhaal. Maggie Gyllenhaal. Playing who is, Jake Hel- Gyllenhaal's sister. Yes, exactly. And she is super cute in this movie. Um, Ew, you have, uh, I, I said Jenna Malone, I think. This was an earlier role for her. Seth Rogen, Noah Wiley, Drew Barrymore. There's other people in there that probably re- you recognize, but those yes. are kind of the big. So there's a lot of people, a lot of people in this. So this is the IMDb synopsis, which I think is kind of funny because it tells you almost nothing. After narrow 
Narrowly escaping a bizarre accident, a troubled teenager is plagued by visions of a man in a large rabbit suit who manipulates him to commit a series of crimes. They leave out all the time travel stuff, but we, we can get into that. Right. So, and we will. Now let's skip it. Yeah, so, we won't talk about it. Uh, um, so, yeah. What do you uh, think? You, you go. Okay. So um, it's hard for me to be unbiased about this movie because I love it. Um, I saw this when it was first, I didn't see it in the theater when it was released because this was a, you know, pretty small indie film. Um, but I saw this on DVD sometime probably in 2001 and loved it immediately. And I've watched it many times since, um, it is so Richard Kelly, and we can get into this a little bit more as we go along. This was, I'm fairly certain was the first movie that he directed uh, i'm just looking here really quickly no he directed something well his first feature was called visceral matter which i've never heard of or seen mm. but um so this was his second i guess and you know it is so i what you know watched again last night even after 20 years i think this holds up really well i do too uh, it's very accomplished for a director who hadn't really done a lot and, and hasn't really done a whole lot since. Very. Um, the acting is excellent. It's a great trippy storyline, which was something that I was definitely drawn to at the time. It's well written. I, th I think the only criticism that I would make of this film and it's a little bit like what uh, when we got into dark, uh, the Passion of Darkly Noon last week. I think there he he tries to cram a little bit too much into this. There may be some some plot lines that maybe aren't too necessary, but those are really nitpicky things. Um, it's just a great movie, and the soundtrack. So, um, we were texting about this and. I think you had said you'd only seen this once before, right? Yes. And I said, you are going to love the soundtrack you have. And we'll get into this a little bit. There are two different cuts of this. So depending on what cut you watch, there are different songs in it. But you have, uh, there's Never Tear Us Apart by NXS, Head Over Heels by Tears for Fears, Under the Milky Way by the Church. By the way, this takes place in 1988. So this is in the wheelhouse for us because we were, I think we were basically the age of the characters yep. in this film. That's right. You know, at we the could time, have been in, I mean, we didn't go to a private school like they did, but we could have been in class with them. Yeah. This is very, for us watching this, we were the age of these characters at the time, you know, well, no, it wasn't, old. it wasn't made until 2001. Right, right. Yeah. But so, it takes place but in we could relate. So in oh. 2001, right. We were what, 28, something like that. Yeah. So, watching this movie then, there was a nostalgia layer to it, because this was an. I mean, there have been a number of '80s throwback movies, or certainly '70s throwback movies, um, aimed at an audience that is going to chime the nostalgia vibe, right? But mm -hmm. I was sort of surprised in 2001 to see a movie set in 1988, particularly like. like a high school movie set in mm -hmm. 1988 because, you know, you would seem dazed and confused and stuff set in the seventies and things like that. 
But that this felt kind of fresh to me uh, at the time when I saw it. I mean, we talk about these things, and then I think of 13 other examples, but I can't think of anything at the time. Was it a trend in the early 2000s to be making late 80s movies? I don't think so. And this way pre, you know, this is late 80s, but this way predates, you know, like Stranger Things, you know, which really, right, uh, you know, it was right in the heart of the in 80s the 2015s, yes, yeah. in the in the mid um, 2010s, you had a whole slew of stuff mm-hmm. from you know shorts to kind of. Not, there was a whole movement that came out of, I think, the Netherlands area, Germany, that were sort of obsessed with this uh, straight-to-video synth soundtrack aesthetic. And mm-hmm. Stranger Things is right – I mean, it's not out of the Netherlands, I don't think, but it's it's right in there. That's like playing on that sort of synthy vibe and um, – neon deal anyway and that and that's an interesting thing with this it does not do the synth soundtrack really so you have these uh let me go through these other songs real quick uh you have uh notorious by duran duran stay by oingo boingo and two songs that i i love both of these songs love will tear us apart by joy division yep. and the killing moon by echo oh, and the bunny Man. oh yeah two oh, great were great, like great my songs. playlist man that, that i was exactly duran duran uh echo and the bunny man oh man this is All like he was you know this this writer director would have been one of our friends you know and the, the movie takes place in virginia we grew up in west virginia yeah um so but yeah it's it's uh i don't know again it's hard for me to be uh, really unbiased because I love this so much. But but why don't, don't you? Have to, what, there's nothing in our byline that says we have to be unbiased. No 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 no. no. <laughs> We're two guys exactly. sitting talking about movies. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, we're sometimes we're just going to watch movies we love to watch, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So tell me what you, so revisiting, so was this the first time you had seen this in like 20 years? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't know why I never went back and resaw it, because it really made an impression on me the first time. Um, boy, there's so many layers. Um, my life is different now. Um, I have a son who is you know, has some, I don't want to get too into it. My son is not a schizophrenic, but does have some, you know, he's neuroatypical. And it was really interesting, you know, sort of seeing the depiction of the family with an older sister and Jake Gyllenhaal is the middle child. He's in therapy and he's on medication. And there's one point in the film where his therapist uses the term schizophrenic. I don't remember if she says paranoid schizophrenic or not. Mm-hmm. But it's certainly, it's enough to kind of drop the, because a big question in this movie is like, what is going on here, right? Is he just nuts? Are we inside a crazy boy's head that's kind of coming un- unraveled? Or is he really seeing into a window of time travel and a time loop And is this bunny figure, Frank, um, some sort of a passenger from the future? You know, what's happening? Is this real or not? Is this Jacob's Ladder where it's all kind of flashing through his mind at the moment of his death? You know, what what is it? And 
what really one of the things that really struck me from a performance element watching it this time through, and I remembered this, was that Jake Gyllenhaal's performance for a younger actor is really nuanced. Like there is a and you lot can going see. On. Uh, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but you can see this. This was early, so I looked. I, I was thinking maybe this was his first role, but it was not. He was actually in City Slickers in 1991, uh, but he had like three or four roles before this. But you watch this, and I remember watching it at the time and thinking, this guy's going to be a star. You know, you you could tell, I, I think, from this performance. He, he carries it. Mm-hmm. And it's not... Um, it's surprising. Like, I found myself very sad at the end of this film. Yes, it's a sad it movie. This time. And... Um, and that's kind of hard to pull off because, you know, when he starts the movie, he's very aggressive. He's very uh, angry. He's very hostile towards his parents, his mother in particular. Mm-hmm. And at the be- at the beginning of the movie, he's not particularly easy to like, right? I mm-hmm. mean, we don't see typical 80s family, you know, his parents are kind of stiff and they're distracted with work, right? And their kids are kind of a pain in the neck. But it's not it's not like they're abusive parents. They live a nice they love life. they love their kids. You know, I, I think that's a nice thing that shines through is, you know, you you can legitimately feel the love that they have for their for their children. But also parents that, you know, we know a lot about autism and other kinds of uh, mental um abnormalities or whatever the modal, you know, atypical states of mind and and diseases and things like that of the mind now than we did in 2001 and certainly more than we did in 1988. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, these parents have them in therapy, they have them on medication, but they don't understand. They don't have a a way to understand his worldview or what's going on with him. He's also, um, you know, he's a teenage boy. So that's an up and down roller coaster ride emotionally, anyway. Um, but you see the pain, particularly it causes his mother trying to, you know, she's concerned about her son. He goes out at night, right? He sort of sleepwalks out of the house and he doesn't account for himself. And their stance on it is kind of like, well, you know, I don't know. He's old enough to drive a car. I guess he's old enough to like go out wander or ride his bike around at night or something, you know? Mm-hmm. But it's weird, and they're concerned about him. And then, of course, as the movie goes on, it's a private school in 1998. I, I assume it's, you know, an expensive school. They all wear uniforms or whatever, and there's there's a couple of bullies. Seth Rogen playing very against type as a tough. And I had no idea who Seth, Ro- Seth Rogen was at the time. Yeah, he's this bully. Yeah. He's a real jerk. He's a real jerk. <laughs> and the yeah. other guy's even worse. Um, the other guy is the lead singer of the band uh, Phantom Planet. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with them or not, but that, that's I am a, not. Or they their first two albums are really really good. But yeah, he's uh, he's the lead singer of that band too. But yeah, Seth Rogen, like I had no idea who he was at the time. Yeah, and Noah Wiley, who I didn't know at the time either, is one of two kind of young hip teachers that don't kind of want to toe the line of the school It's a pretty conservative principal and and sort of faculty and they're 
And uh, Drew Barrymore is the other one. She's the English teacher, and she's, like, reading poetry. <laughs> there was one moment in that yeah. first Drew Barrymore scene where the new girl comes walking into class, and <laughs> Drew Barrymore's teacher says, she says, where do I sit? And she's like, sit next to the boy you think is cutest or mm-hmm. something like that. And I laughed out loud because I thought, never would that this ever happen. Ever. If that had been the opening scene of the film, you might have been like, I don't know yeah. about this. But she uh, was a producer on this and really championed the film. And I think, you know, her involvement with it probably got it made. Yeah. Um, so she's not, again, I, I like, you know, Drew Barrymore seems like a lovely person. Going back to the, the doppelganger episode that she did, or that we did, I don't think she's a great actor and she's not great in this, but this movie would probably not exist without her. Yeah. Well, it's which not is great. Which is great. Drew you know. Barrymore. It's just no, no. That one scene was this kind of clank. In, in mm-hmm. other words, really interesting, really um, in tune feeling script. Yeah. There's not a lot of clunkers in this movie. No. And that was that just is this one. weird, you know, that was just this weird moment that I'm like, what? Um, but, uh, you know, I don't, I don't remember where I was going. There's so much. I love the soundtrack. Love, love, oh, love the it's soundtrack. So and I guess I guess broadly speaking, so what happens is he starts, he starts hallucinating. He starts seeing this man-sized figure in a bunny costume, really, that is telling him to, yeah, they're crimes, I guess. Uh, you know, he says he burnt, light it on fire or whatever. What was what he done? He burned something down and. Well, he, so early on he goes in and um, he takes an ax and like uh, chops the pipes in the school. So mm. it floods it. And there's a really, there's a lot of great lines in this movie. But the, the thing about this is, you know, it's a serious movie. And like you said, it's sad at the end, but there's also a lot of humor in this, mm-hmm. which I think you know, the best movies combine humor and, and drama. But so they have to close the school because the it, it gets flooded with water. And there are some kids, you know, waiting before school or after school or whatever. And they uh, one girl says to another girl that the uh, school was flooded and it was filled with feces. And she says, what are feces? And she says, baby mice. <laughs> I've always loved that, that line. And uh, there's another line later on. So there's this, uh, uh, you have this subplot with uh, Patrick Swayze and he's this motivational speaker Patrick guy. Swayze, right? Yeah. Totally he's this motivational that. speaker guy. And it's kind of this nonsense uh, self-help thing that, um, you know, they make the kids watch in school and Donnie points out, you know, what bullshit he thinks it is basically. And so there is a scene where, um, so, so, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Jenna Malone are, they get together and they go to a theater and they're watching, um, the evil dead. And I think when I watch this movie, I do, I, think I had not seen the evil dead at this point. I may have watched the evil dead. I mean, I was aware of it, but I may have watched the evil dead because of this film. Cause they show, mm-hmm. you know, they're watching it. And it's funny 
on the marquee of the theater. It's the Evil Dead and the Passion, or not the Passion of the Christ, but uh, Last Temptation of of Christ. <laughs> Which I thought that was kind of a funny, yeah. you know, combo. Um, but anyway, so Frank the Bunny appears to him, and uh, there's a really great line where Donnie says to him, "Why are you wearing that?" Uh, bunny suit and he says why are you wearing frank responds to him and says why are he says why are you wearing that stupid bunny suit and he says why are you wearing that stupid man suit which i always thought i just love that line but he basically tells him through the screen to go to uh patrick swayze's home and he burns it down and it turns out that he had all this child pornography there um so, uh, yeah, that that was the thing, you know, with the fire. But nobody knows that he's done these things, you know, committed these crimes. Right. And we should go back and establish that there is a there's an incident early on. So we know that he's medicated. We know that he's troubled. We know that he goes out at night. And we find him. He is sort of wakes up in the middle of the road, you know, and his bike is sort of spilled over by the side of the road. And he's asleep in the middle of the road um and he this sort of a you know not heavy traffic area like up on a mountain and he wakes up and it's morning and he's kind of doesn't remember how he got there and he goes walking back to his house and when he gets to his house there's all kinds of emergency vehicles and this jet engine it turns out has landed on his house basically fell right on his bed where he wasn't last night, right? Mm -hmm. Because he was out and he doesn't remember how he got there. Slept, walked out or whatever. So he would have been killed had he been in bed, at home in bed. You know, it's just this first weird, jarring, you know, kickoff event of the movie. Mm -hmm. And, And it's after that that he first meets Frank. And Frank is... Spook is scary looking, right? Frank yeah. is not a cute bunny. It's not Harvey. It's a well. I mean, people see the th- you know. There's a picture on the podcast. He's it's a Halloween mask of a scary bunny, and this could have come off as corny, but it does not. Um, it's eerie, and the the voice that they have for Frank, I, I like the sound design with that because he yep. he sounds scary. Yep. Um, but he doesn't. Other than looking scary, um, Donnie describes him as a new friend, an imaginary friend, right? And he doesn't threaten Donnie, although he does tell Donnie to do things like chop the pipes and burn it down, right? Mm-hmm. He doesn't, or else I'll hurt you, right? He is. They're sort of they're they're directives, but they're almost phrased like suggestions. Um. And there doesn't seem to be a concrete uh, or, or like linear method. It's not like first chop the pipes, then, you know, cut the wires. Then, you know, they, they don't seem to have any overt purpose. It's not going anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Or at least we, we can't discern that there is any overarching meaning behind this act and then that act and then the next act. Right. But as the film goes on, reality does get darker and scarier. He, you know, we see things like there's an old woman checking her mail and there's this 
car full of teens, a couple of, uh, you know, freshmen in college or something come sort of racing up the road and they almost run her over. Yeah. And, you know, it's this moment of like, oh, my God, we're going to watch this woman get hit by her car. And it kind of just doesn't. So there's this tension building near miss stuff that starts happening. And then, you know, and then they burns down the guy's house, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. And and they discover all kinds of child pornography. So he gets his comeuppance. But the stakes seem to be getting higher and higher and more and more dangerous as the movie goes on. And Donnie, you know, there's a point at which he sort of stands and looks in the mirror. And on the other side of the mirror, he sees Frank the rabbit. And he goes and gets a kitchen knife. And he sort of, you know, is tapping the kitchen knife, the point of the knife, you know, like a stabbing motion, but not yes. attacking the mirror, just kind of going, dung, dung. and they do this neat effect where it's like from inside the mirror, it's sort of rippling outward. And he's tapping the point of the knife on Frank's eye. And then the next time we see Frank, the eye of the bunny suit's all messed up, right? I mean, did you clock yes. all this? Oh, yeah, yeah. But mm-hmm. it's not linear. In other words, you look back on it and you're trying to sort of string stuff together. And it's mostly just this kind of jumbled feeling escalation of the disturbance is getting worse, mm-hmm. right? And so he, this new girl is thinks he's cute and he thinks she's cute. And it's clear he's never really had a girlfriend before. And I, Let me stop you for just one second. There's one little point in there. I don't know if this is a if this is a um, something that is regional or not, but again, they they're supposed to be in Virginia, and he says to her, um, you know, they walk they walk home from school one day, and he says to he says to her, um, "Would you like to go with me?" And he says, that's what, that's what we call it here. Like dating is what you, would you like to go with me? And I remember when we were kids, we said that here, Yeah, like people were going together. I don't right. know if that was, uh, if that was like everywhere or if that was just a regional thing or what, know. but it was just like, that felt so true to our experience as teenagers in the eighties in like West going, Virginia. Like going steady. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But they'd never kissed or been on a date or anything. They would just walk back from school. And in that moment, feels very real. She sort of considers it. And then she's kind of like, I think she might ask one sort of parameter question about how that works. And then she was like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just, the kids in this movie and the behavior of the children in this movie feels very real. And, and there's that's a great tough, dinner, you know. a great late '80s dinner table scene where they're all having pizza, and uh, Maggie and Jake, brother and sister, are arguing and cursing at the table, and the parents mm-hmm. are trying to get them to stop swearing. And yeah, then the younger, that's the a youngest great is a daughter. And she's she's like, "What's that mean?" <laughs> she says, "Yeah," laughs on his jokes on his pizza. It's really awesome because uh, the Maggie Gyllenhaal says something like. Uh, uh, she says, I, you know, I'm not going to squeeze one out until I'm 30 or something like that. And, and, uh, uh, Donnie Darko says, are you still going to be working at the yarn barn then? <laughs> and the little girl says, uh, when am I going to squeeze one out? <laughs> There's just a lot of great lines like that. Yeah. They, yeah. 
they 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 really they uh, they get it just right that in the late 80s you saw it in the movies a lot where it's like oh, this modern world and kids today you know but they really got the tone right of how oh, it's perfect yeah smart mouthed and irreverent you know pop culture was and and kids had soaked soaked that up and parents were always like you know what, if I had talked to my parents, you know, if I had said that at the dinner table, I wouldn't have gotten, you know, I'd have been grounded for a month or whatever. And the, the kid would be like, well, dumb enough for your dad or whatever. And it's like, But again, it's not like Donnie or, uh, you know, Maggie Gyllenhaal. They're not really bad kids. And even no. like his his friends are not are not bad kids, but there's a, there's a couple other. They're knuckleheads. They're knuckleheads. There's a couple other lines that I love. So they have... Uh, so Maggie Gyllenhaal's character finds out that she's getting into Harvard and the parents have gone out of town and uh, Donnie's like, we should totally have a party. So they have a party and these two buddies of Donnie show up and the one guy's dressed up as uh, Hulk, Hulk Hogan. His character's hilarious, but they come in and because uh, it's Halloween, it's around. Halloween, yes, right? it's Halloween. It's Halloween. So they have this perfect, you know, Halloween vibe. And Donnie is always, you know, I guess because he's sedated because of these, you know, medication that he's on or whatever, he's always just kind of deadpan. And so the, the two, his two buddies show up and, uh, you know, he's bringing them in the door and they're, and the one was like, I stole four beers from my dad or whatever. And he's like, don't worry about it. We've got a keg. And the one guy goes, oh, keg, keg beer is pussy beer. I love that that line. That's like just like such a 16 year old, you know, mentality. Right. Right. Uh, The the voice of experience here. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, Um, then they go immediately and start drinking out of the keg, you know, and they don't have a problem with it. uh, it, It's so so things kind of we're watching and we're we're wondering where this relationship with Frank the bunny is going to go. And then he finds out that the crazy old lady that almost got hit by the car used to teach at the school and published a book about time travel. And it describes things that he hallucinations, really, that he's been seeing about sort of people walk through a room and there's this sort of, you know, ghostly sort of arrow preceding them out of their chest, like where they're going in time or something. And Mm -hmm. that's described in the book. And so he feels like he's sort of on to something and he's cracking the code. And there's a there's a bit of that vibe to the movie, like, oh, I'm going to figure it out. And it kind of culminates where they're out by the they're back again at that place by the old lady's house where she's always checking her. Ma- Excuse me. Drinking seltzer. Always drinking her mail. Uh, drinking her mail. Well, she's always drinking, drinking her mail. She's drinking, drinking her, mail. her mail for <laughs> breakfast. Um, checking her mail and, and, you know, this car comes zooming along and I guess that the two jerks from school attack them or something. They right? do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's scary. Like one of them's got a knife and he says, I'm going to kill you. And it's escalated to this point where everything's crazy. And then his girlfriend has fallen down in the street and she gets run over by the car. Right. Yes. And the two guys jump out of the car and the other one of the other guys is like, Frank, I think you killed her, right? And it's this guy in the bunny suit. It's Frank. Yes. And he takes off his mask, you know, and he can't believe that he's run over this girl. And so it just feels like everything's kind of caving back in on itself. And 
I honestly don't remember what. How does Donnie then get back home? Donnie goes back home, and lies down in his bed. He carries he carries her home, or he he carries her. So he carries her back to his house. His parents have not gotten back yet, and he realizes that the the airplane engine that had fallen, um, you know, in the beginning of the movie and missed him, that that can be his vessel to travel back in time, right? Um, so he carries her back, and he knows that the the engine is going to fall out of the sky at a certain point, and then he goes and um, he goes and they but drive. How? That's what I missed. Yeah, how it's he, how it's kind of because when he lies down, he he chuckles in. It, that's what's so sad. He chuckles mm-hmm. in this way, like. I'm going to undo it all. I'm going to make it all okay. This is the way it was supposed to be. And there's also a, a little death wish in there. Well, let's, re- let's rewind a little bit. So he meets with the... So he has this therapist that he meets with throughout the film. And I'd forgotten to even mention her. She is Catherine Ross, who is... Have you ever seen The Graduate? Yep. She is the... She is Dustin Hoffman's love interest from The Graduate. <laughs> right. right. And she's uh, Sam Elliott's wife. Uh, so she is the therapist throughout the movie, and there is a, a scene where he's she's talking to him, and and he talks about, um, or maybe she brings it up, the idea that we all die alone, and he says, you know, I don't really want to uh, believe it, but I think ultimately we all just die alone, and he says, I I don't want to be alone, and. So then we, uh, so what happens is the kind of the way I understand it, it's still kind of as many times as I've seen it, it's still a little bit hazy, but he, he takes the body of his girlfriend and they drive out to, he drives out to kind of this lookout and there's like these clouds in the, the distance. And I think that's the portal that's going to open up so that this, this plane engine can come down and that can be what transports them back in time and basically he can revert by him dying he can reverse everything that's happened and right. she could live right because he'll go back to where he quote unquote should have been yeah and die in that freak accident and then he and she, that was the first day of school he and she will never have met and she won't end right. up getting hit by the car and all of this other. right so it's an act of self-sacrifice um it's also can we early stop for on. Just, the... Can we stop for just one minute? Yeah. Well, as long as we're taking a little break here, ladies and gentlemen, Echo and the Bunnyman. Against your will, 
Sorry about that. Too many hard kombuchas. So I think the last thing you said was uh, you were talking about Donnie's self-sacrifice. Right. Uh, yes. I, I lost my train of thought, but. Um, so he's going to have. Oh, the... oh, yes. So so there was a moment earlier when, when in the beginning of the movie when the jet engine, they. The FAA shows up and you oh somebody says his dad or somebody says they can't figure out where it came from like they don't know the plane it fell off of, um, which is weird and otherworldly, and that all sort of figures in like somehow the plane it came off of hadn't happened yet or it fell you know that kind mm-hmm. of ties back around at the end and I'm foggy on that too. Yeah, but the the time loop mechanism to me was what made me feel like this whole movie is really the product of a disturbed mind, (laughs) Donnie's mind, like all in his mind was the focus on his first person and his emotional state throughout and not some like they don't answer it for you you yeah. know what i mean the movie doesn't in jacob's ladder for example it answers it for you so the last word on it was he never actually got out of country and he's been dying on the operating table you know on in the battlefield of nam um he he didn't come home when all this weird stuff happened these were all just the projections of his dying mind, right? Um, and there are other movies where you're like, oh, are they crazy or are they not? And it answers it one way or another. This one does not answer it for me. And I'm inclined to think that because of that, there isn't enough to hang your hat on that there's some sort of supernatural mechanism going on here. And it's just we we take a trip with this tragic figure um who is hallucinating and seeing things and is probably a paranoid schizophrenic Mm -hmm. yeah what's your take on it i mean do you agree i don't know i i think i always want to err on the side of the person that it was real and that uh you know they weren't disturbed or whatever i remember at the time but we know that he is yeah yeah I remember at the time uh, that this movie came out, I this company that I worked for, I must have been talking about this with somebody, and there was a kind of a middle-aged woman that I worked with. She was probably younger than what I am now, but at the time, you know, she seemed kind of older, and and uh, she said what is that movie about? I didn't understand it. <laughs> it was like, you know, am I going to be exp- able to explain this to you, you know, in just a few minutes, but I don't know. I, to be honest, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what, what my take is from this, but, um, to after me, that, it doesn't go need ahead, go to ahead. be, it doesn't need to be answered no, to enjoy no. the film. I think exactly. 
It's and, got a foot firmly in both. And, you know, if you were schizophrenic, you wouldn't be able to stand outside of that experience and say, oh, I'm schizophrenic, right? And I mean, that's you, the kind of thing where it, if that a would person, be reality for you. If a person is truly mentally ill, do they know they are? You know, that's kind of the, the, the well, know, question. Well, I, I think that they... I think that they can. Yeah. Which he says throughout the movie, he's like, I'm crazy, you know. Well, he says, I have um, emotional problems, you know. Right. Uh, but I think I think you can, you can understand that your experience is different than what the quote-unquote neurotypical normal people around you are experiencing sometimes. Right. But you, you might not always know where that border is. And there's a really great scene. He knows Frank's imaginary. Yeah, yeah. There's a really great scene where Donnie comes home, I believe from one of his, um, I don't know if it's one of his sleepwalking episodes or if he's just out with his girlfriend or what, but he comes home and his dad is sitting outside drinking whiskey or scotch or something like that. And he has a little conversation with him and he said, you know, the, the dad says something along the lines of, you know, the kind of quote unquote quote normal people are scared of people like you because they know that you're smarter than them and they know that you know they're full of shit you know and i i i just think that's a really great a really great scene there's a lot of little scenes like that that are this nice insight you know from from the writer director but after the so after donnie dies then we have this brilliant scene that I love that I think is just kind of heartbreaking where they show this montage of the different characters throughout the film and they play, it's a cover of uh, tears for fears, mad world by Gary Jules, which is just an excellent cover of that song that's been used in a lot of commercials and things like that. And they show um, uh, Patrick Swayze's character and like he's in bed crying and they show the woman who is the, the dance, the, the teacher who is that we haven't really talked about this much, but the, the leader of the dance team <laughs> and uh, we show, and they show Frank and there's a really great little uh, nod where he's sitting there and he moves his hand up and touches his eye, which would be the same eye that, you know, had been shot out earlier, uh, you know, at the end of the film Um and I, I just, I've just always thought that was a really cool little nod. And I also noticed something that I maybe hadn't noticed before. The very beginning of the film where Donnie wakes up in the road and he has his bicycle and he rides back. When he's riding through his neighborhood to go back to his house, the Camaro or Trans Am or whatever it is that Frank owns passes by him. Oh, I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, catch that's that. that's in the like the first five or ten minutes of the movie, and I was like, "Oh, that's a neat little little Easter egg that they threw." Yeah, in we there. see yeah. Frank. He's designed. He, he's designed. He's an artist, mask. you know. And you say you see that. Oh, this is a guy that's designed that. Like you're like, what's with that costume? Well, this is the guy's an artist, and he designed his own bunny mask. I mean, it's a he's big, the it's a big the, dark blue bunny suit, and but he designed a custom scary mask for it. And is he the is he Jake is he uh, Maggie Maggie Gyllenhaal's boyfriend? Uh, do we ever see them together? I think he he drops her off at the be- at when the uh, when the uh, in the beginning when the engine falls through. So she comes in the door and kind of leans against the door, 
and you see the chandelier shake and the you hear a car horn beep outside. I, I think Frank was her boyfriend. That's oh, what I've always taken. I, it. I don't that. I don't think they explicitly show that, but I but I think he's her boyfriend. He's a little bit older and, you know, she's a little bit older than what than what Donnie is. Um, so another this is just a little aside, but another line that I love. So you have this teacher that's this kind of sort of like a Bible beater or something like that. And she is the head of this dance team that uh, Donnie's younger uh, sister is a part of. And they're going to go on, what is it, Star Search? that they're get, Which, like, yeah. anybody today would not know what Star Search is. But uh, they're going to go on Star Search. And Donnie's mom is not super into it. And uh, the teacher comes to the house and is talking to her about it, how they're going to go on this trip or whatever. And uh, she says, I'm beginning and their their dance team is called Sparkle Motion. And she says, and this is a line that like I use, I'll throw out now. I need it like people, people don't know what I'm talking about. But she says uh, uh, she's kind of frustrated with the mom because, you know, she's not super into what they're doing. And she says, you know, I'm beginning to question your commitment to Sparkle Motion, <laughs> which is just such a great line. <laughs> there's a That's, lot of I love I love little those there's little a lot of nice little touches like that. Pocket things. You could be at a party and you meet somebody that you think is, you know, kind of on your wavelength and if the opportunity comes up, you could say, Well, I'm beginning to question their commitment to Sparkle Motion and it's a litmus test because exactly, if somebody's exactly. like, I love that movie, you yeah. know, you can be like, oh, yes, a kindred spirit. There's a scene where uh, Donnie is, tar- is, he goes on this rant with uh, Jenna Malone about the Smurfs, how they don't have any genitalia. <laughs> and he's like, what would be the point if you don't, I think he's like, if you don't have a penis, he's like, what's the, what would be the point? You know, why would you want to live if you know? <laughs> there's a lot of just little Again, that's it's almost like there are things that he just kind of threw in there that where it was just like, okay, this is my big break. I'm just going to put all my ideas in that I that I want, and it, you know, the vast majority of it works. Yeah, I agree, and I think that the best part of it to me is it is it manages to be all of these different things. It's um, you know, it's a nostalgia movie about the 1988. It's uh, mind bending, um, you know, creepy. It's a, you know, it's a creepy movie. Um, it's genuinely sad. Like you mm-hmm. genuinely care about Donnie and you don't want him to have died at the end of this. Um, you know, so it's to call it a horror movie isn't quite right, but it's a scary, it's a disturbing movie. It's more it's sci-fi-ish. A, yeah, think, it's a, a little, thinker. You know? It's a mind bender. It's an '80s piece. It, you know, it's a high school. It's all of that, and it mm-hmm. and it works. I mean, Donnie Darko is. It's Donnie Darko. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. it's kind of, it achieves that singular. Um, place some movies get where it's hard to just otherwise category it and you're like what is darn it darn it darko is like well, i don't know it's donnie darko man like it just stands up on its own without needing to fit a bunch of other categories and it's kind of the definition of a, of a cult film almost yeah, yeah. and it, it's and it feels indie although it's 
It doesn't feel cheaply done. There's no, no, no not at all. It's very, you know, competently made. You know, and there like aren't we said, sci-fi. They don't go tumbling through time tunnels, and you know what I mean. But it's also not. You, we see there's a there's a trend of low budget time travel movies now mm-hmm. that don't really have any effects at all, and they just do it with um, very very well planned script writing. And the same character plays multiple iterations of themselves at different points in this timeline, like we talked about time crimes and, oh, yeah. um, right, which ultra low budget. Like there's yeah. just no, not there's nothing. To, I think they don't they damage the house or something, but it's probably under construction anyway. There's just right. no, didn't cost anything. Yeah. Um, and there's a number of other ones that have come out like that, low budget sci-fi. And they just do it with very clever writing. Um, this doesn't, but they they tend to feel a little bit low budget. Um, uh, this doesn't feel low budget, but the only thing about it that I, I I'd say that you maybe you could criticize there are a little bit of CGI effects um, that you know that look pretty dated now. And one thing that I wanted to ask you. Do you oh, know the, which the sort of chest, the kind yeah, of yeah, that thing coming out? You, yeah, know. that that's that, but at the time that was what they were able to do. Sure, and uh, it's not, it's not terrible, you know. Um, do you know what version of this you watched? Did you watch the original version or did you watch the director's cut? And a, a couple of things that would tip off what version you watched um, is, so I have the the DVD of this. So I watched the direct and it's the director's cut. And so they, there are like chapters divided in it where they show, um, they basically, he went back and tried to kind of spoon feed stuff to people a little bit more. So there's actual text from Roberta Sparrow's book about time travel. Did you have that in yours? Where the text is like on a card. Yeah, for the most part, yeah. I don't think so. And then, do you on Amazon or something? Do you know what? um, When he wakes up in the very beginning on the bicycle and he's riding, do you know what song was playing? Was it uh, "Never Tear Us Apart" by NXS or was it something else? Mm, I feel like it was something else because they changed the. I think it was like they had. uh, they might have had the Joy Division song in the beginning, and then I think it was like they didn't have the what he really wanted to do was never tear us apart, and they didn't have the money to do it, so they put that back in. But I actually like the the original version better because I mean I like that song, but I think um, the original the Joy song Division was definitely in it. So if that was a swap out in the director's cut, and we lost yeah. jo- uh, Joy Division, then I watched that's the what one it- with. I watched That's the what I, Joy Division. Yeah, okay, okay. So you saw the orig- original version. I know. Because I was like, uh, oh, my God, I love this song. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. So that's that's one of the only things that I don't like that they changed with the director's cut is I, I like the Joy Division song better in that opening scene. And then uh, when they're having the party, so basically Donnie Darko and his girlfriend have sex together and they play uh, The Killing Moon Uh uh, Echo and the Bunnymen, which I just love that song. You know, both like I said, both the both of those songs, the Joy Division song and the Echo and the Bunnymen song, are but both that was really in, fantastic. I did, I, I, they had the Killing Moon. In yeah, the they do. I watched. Yeah, yeah, that that's still the same. But in the beginning, 
I think it's the Joy Division song is swapped out for, uh, like I say, I know on the one that I watch, they play uh, Never Tear Us Apart, which I don't like as much in that scene. I want it makes me want to drop 15 second snippets of those songs into should, this podcast. If it's not if it's not too much work to do, you should put it in there. I mean, cuz 15 great seconds. I mean, we did do I was listening to Megaforce the other day cuz it just mm-hmm. came up on my playlist, the the uh song, not mm-hmm. the podcast that we did. And I was like this song is banging. Oh <laughs> yeah. Know? Put them in there. I mean, if you know, if it's not too much work, put them in there because it's not like those were gigantic number one songs. You know, I mean, there probably be people that would listen to this that maybe they don't know those songs. You know, um, yeah, I just don't know where to put it in. I, maybe I can put it in uh, right at the end. Yeah, a little clip of it. Some. Yeah, but um, so maybe we should do our uh, wrap ups on this. So sure, this is yeah. this is very much a cult classic. So I was looking, I'm going to go back here to IMDb just very quickly to see what the, I know it had a really good rating, but I want to see what the, what the rating was on this. So if you, and they did a sequel to this, which I've never seen. Um, oh, and I wanted to say really quickly. So this director, uh, Richard Kelly, he did two movies after this. He did one called Southland Tales, which has the rock in it. Um, and, it's very ambitious. It's not necessarily, it would actually be one that would be kind of fun to, uh, to do maybe sometime it has, um, let's see, I'm going to tell you like just really quickly what this cast is in this. Cause I know it has a bunch of like pretty big stars. Um, it, it has the rock and it. it has Sarah Michelle Geller. It has, uh, Justin Timberlake. Hmm. Um, it's a really weird movie. And then he did another movie called the box. And I think those are, that's everything that he's directed. And Mm. it, it's just kind of weird to me that, you know, he, he did this really great film. And then this, to me, this is the kind of guy who should be directing Marvel films, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I just, this movie comes off so well. And there is a lot of, a lot of variables can happen with the movie. Like, you know, the cast can have chemistry. Things can all just kind of fall together. This is kind of one of those movies where it was just kind of a miracle that it was Yeah, but a... it doesn't all happen by accident. No, right? no. You can't just grab a bunch of people and it, once in a while a movie comes out perfect. Like, So, again, you got to come back around to the director, and he really pulled this off. And we've talked mm-hmm. about other movies where you like, I can see what they were going for, and it seems like it just didn't quite all come together in the right way. You know, you can taste a, a soup that somebody made and you can you can be like, this is good enough that I can see what you wanted it to be. Right. Which is not to say this is bad, but no. it didn't quite, you know what I mean? Like you got close enough that I can see what you're going for. It just didn't happen. And I feel like that's a lot more common than this person can't direct, but somehow made an amazing movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know? We've talked about this a lot on the show. I mean, I think it's, especially with something that's not a gigantic budget like this, I I think it's almost a, a kind of a minor miracle that movies like this come together. You know, that you just have the right cast and, 
the right writer and right director and it, it just kind of all works. And you can absolutely see how this launched Jake Gyllenhaal's career. I mean, yeah. I know he had been, he had credits, so obviously he was part of a family and he had been in films. But he carries this movie, right? Oh, yeah. He is Donnie Darko. And yeah. I, this whole movie would not have worked if he hadn't struck just the right middle path to you know to walk this tightrope of all these different elements of the film and it's he's the center of it and it soars and you care about it excuse me Uh, you know and you can just see you can see even though the film probably wasn't a big financial success anybody who saw this movie would be like wow that kid's great yeah and and one of the things that i think is very cool is that he has embraced this film and it's not like, ah, oh, that was just something that I did early on in my career. You know, he, he really, um, you know, I've, I've read some things where he's public publicly said, you know, that this launched his career. Um, and I don't know how you feel about, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, but he's, I, I think he was, he's one of the best actors of this generation. You know, he's done a lot of stuff that. Did you have you seen Nightcrawler? Really, yeah. I saw it in the theater. I loved it. It's crazy. Um, man. It is crazy. Nightcrawler. I mean, you start looking through his talk about scary. Oh yeah, it's a yeah. Scary performance. <laughs> Brokeback Mountain, Jarhead, yeah. Zodiac. Yeah. Um, I think maybe we have talked about it a little bit, but have you seen? Um, all right, I gotta find this one because I don't remember what the title is. Uh, Enemy. Have you seen Enemy? Where he has a double? Oh, I don't think so. Is we should sci- watch that. Sci-fi? Yeah, it's it's sci-fi. We should watch that. It's a great, great movie. I think you would really like it. Okay, we could. It's a, it's, I a, mean, it's a doppelganger kind of film. We could watch that um, next if you want. Or I watched High Rise. We could talk about High Rise too. High Rise is weird. We also were. We had kind of talked about um, Akira. Oh yeah, we've never you done know, an anime. But I film. had trouble finding Akira. I was thinking, looking for Akira a while back because I was oh, feeling okay. like anime. I just couldn't find anywhere it was streaming. I know you don't have uh, Hulu. It's on Hulu. Oh. Um, but yeah, we could. Uh, I mean, if you want to do two uh, Jake Gyllenhaal movies in a row, we could do uh, Enemy. Because I, I haven't seen it since it originally. Um, it was a 2013 movie, and I saw it in the theater. And really, really liked it. And so, yeah, if you want to watch that, okay, I'd be let's... I'd be totally down for that. So I think it goes without saying that both of us highly recommend Donnie Darko. If you have yeah, not very, seen it. Yeah, very, very highly recommend it. Um, I don't think our discussion of it will have spoiled it for you. I, no. I really think it's a great ride. We didn't get too much in the plot. Yeah. Um, but if you have seen it and you've enjoyed our talking about it, take it as an opportunity. Go back and have another look at Donnie Darko. This is great. It's very... Uh, it works well with repeated viewings. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you're our age too. It, it, it's as a nostalgia trip. It's it's terrific. Um, Chris and Chris talk movies at gmail dot com. Oh, and I wanted to say really quickly, uh, we hit a thousand downloads Yay. this week. So we're very excited about that. We're happy and thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you for listening, everybody who's listened and downloaded and um. If you're it's new fun. to this, it's fun to see that we that people are listening to us, our ramblings. 
Exactly, exactly. And if you're new to the show, um, please subscribe. Uh, give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And yeah, like as Chris said, Chris and Chris talk movies at gmail.com. Send us your thoughts or your hate mail or your questions or whatever you have. Maybe keep the hate mail to yourself. Yeah, hate, we don't yeah. really want to hate mail. There's plenty but. of that going around. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just assume you hate it. <laughs> and so for next time, we'll watch Enemy, Jake Gyllenhaal. Again, um, all grown up. Uh, a 2013 film. I have not seen it. It's great. Chris, yeah. Chris liked it. Yeah, I like it. I okay, like great. It. Good conversation. Very um, good. And um, enjoy your... I don't ever know how to end this, but I guess we will talk to you next week. We'll see you later. Bye-bye.